Now you hard of hearing people can hear me better. Huh? Amen. We are continuing our journey in Colossians this morning. So we are still in chapter 1 and we'll be here for a while. But go to Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Father, as we go through this time in, the, in Colossians, in your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have to speak to us. Challenge us by your word. Encourage us to live deeper, to know you more fully. We thank you for giving us the revelation of your word to help us and to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so the overview, we're going to have some of these points all memorized by the end. Colossians was written by who? Paul. Who, was, who, who brought the gospel to the church in Colossae? Epaphras. And so Paul wrote the letter. Epaphras was really the missionary back to his home church, and he brought the gospel to them. And then he taught them for many years and would go and visit Paul. And write, at the writing of this, Epaphras is actually in Rome, in prison, he hadn't been arrested, but he's a fellow prisoner, so he's serving Paul in prison as Paul writes this letter. He's going to carry the letter back to Colossians, and Ephesus was real close. Um, and so the letter was uh, written to the church in Colossae. And we're going to pick up verse 9 this morning. We're only doing 9 to 12 today. Amen. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. We could pull out so many individual messages and preach an entire message on, on long-suffering or on patience or on joy or on His power. We could talk about different things, but we're going to take the whole uh, four verses here and talk about, in generally, what it's saying. And we're going to start, kind of as we did last week, we're just going to begin to go through and see what each part is saying. And we, we actually got halfway through nine last week. We're going to pick it up. It says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and here is where we left off. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In the book of Colossians, we're going to find words like knowledge a lot. You're going to find um, filled. Now, what was happening in Colossae is that these people, these syncretists, these people who were mixing different religions, were offering special knowledge and fullness. And they were bringing this teaching into the church. And so Paul counters it and says, we're going to talk about spiritual knowledge and that you are complete. So Paul is counteracting what the, the teaching is going on here in this place. And so um, remembering there, there's this, this uh, mix of religious and uh, philosophical ideologies that are being taught in Colossae, much like today. 
especially in this nation. We people even in the church we want to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and we do it in our in our doctrine and then we add a little bit of things from the world. So they, this is important for us to understand that as Paul says in this we'll get into this that everything we ne- need and everything we we everything we need for life is in Christ. We have the fullness of him. Everything has been given to us in his sacrifice for us. So Paul uses the same words that the uh, syncretists, if you were, were using. Knowledge and spiritual understanding. They'd even say those things. Fullness. But he uses them with a slight change or a different definition. Do you know that the devil knows all the Christian words? And he uses them. People will use Christian words. Fellowship. Communion. But they're not the same definition. There was, there was somebody, uh, there, there have been people, I don't want to pick on in, anybody, but there, there's people who say, hey, let's all get together and have communion together. And it doesn't matter what faith you come from. Sorry, you can't have communion of Jesus Christ with somebody from a different faith. I'm not talking about denomination. I'm talking about another faith. So you use a word, communion, and it feels Christian. But then you re- understand that the definition is wrong. So the devil knows our words. But Paul is using the words with the right definition that Jesus had in mind uh, for the church here. The message in Colossians is you are complete. Go to just go to chapter 2, verse 10. If you remember one thing, remember this today. Here it is. You are complete in him. You're complete in him. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, if your life has been changed because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're complete in him. Everything you need to grow in life is already inside of you because the Spirit of God dwells in you right now. You, me, we are complete in Jesus Christ. We're full in him. When someone's born anew, born again, he has everything he needs to grow and become mature. That's just amazing. He's, we've got everything inside of us because the Spirit of God indwells us. Now the Colossians were born again, um, and they were given this fullness in Christ, but they needed to grow. They needed to become mature. They needed to be watching out for the wiles of the devil, really, of, of the teaching that was coming in. And so then they needed to understand what God's will was for them. And that's what, how many people say, I, I need to know the will of God for my life. You know, it's like, can we just park on that? What is God's will for our life? And I wish I could, could stand up here and that God would give me words of wisdom and I could point to each of you and say, God wants you to do this and God wants you to do this. And, and it would be from God. And wouldn't we all say, well, hallelujah, that's great. Except some of you would say, I don't want to do that. Can I have a new one? I like his. I like hers. I don't like mine. That's often our problem. We don't like actually the will of God for our life. We like the will of God for somebody else's life. But, but we, you know, we want to know the will of God for our life. And Colossians, this morning, we're going to lay out how we can begin to understand and know the will of God for our life. And if you don't walk away with that, you can have your money back. But, but the, the, the beginning of this is, is what we're going to talk about. So, um, and as we as read in this passage here, it says that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. 
So I want to hit a couple of words here. First, the word filled. The word filled here is a big word. It's, it really means that the word would be used as in packing a ship of full of cargo and saying it's all ready to sail. Everything is done. It's full. It's overflowing. Somebody else said it's like a bottle full of water, but not just regular water. This water is carbonated. And so it's not just full. It's like bursting and it's ready to be overflowing. It's so filled. It's so complete. And that's such a great picture because, you know, you get a, a carbonated water and just give it just a tiny shake and it's like bursting and it puffs up. And, and in fact, if you, you know, before you open a, a soda or a thing, you, I, I squeeze mine. And if it's super tight, I know that it's about to go exploding on me because it's already been activated. And that's us. We're filled. And, and he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Remember, too, as we read the word knowledge, most of the times we come to the word knowledge in the book of Colossians. It's not just the regular word gnosis. It's epinosis. And that means depth of knowledge. It's a deep knowledge. So we're going to be filled. Over, it's ready to burst. We're ready to go with the full knowledge, intimate knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Knowledge is so important to us as, as Christians. We need to know the Word of God. We need to know God. We need to know Him intimately and personally. And, and God has given us, praise the Lord, He's given us this Bible to know His will. His will for us is found in this Word. Now, you might say, well, I need to know specifically where am I supposed to move? What job am I supposed to get? But his, the, ba the beginning of his will is found in this, and we're going to talk about that this morning, but he talks about how we should be walking, how we should be living. He talks about how we should be believing and thinking. And if we begin to get these things going in our life, we will hear and know God more intimately, and his will will begin to become more and more clear for us because we'll not just know about him, we'll also know him personally from the inside, and we'll have that spiritual uh, awareness of what he's leading us and where he's taking us. So, so we hear knowledge is a big part of Colossians here. And so we want to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, knowledge is not all there is. There's a, I've known a lot of people who had amazing amounts of learning, even in the Bible. They excelled in learning. Their knowledge was profound. Anyone can relate. It's not me. But there's other people. And you say, wow, they have such a knowledge. But I've known them. But at times, the exercise of that knowledge was less. It was really sadly inferior. They had a ton of knowledge. But the practice of that knowledge wasn't manifest in their life. It wasn't happening. So they knew it, but their life was dis disconcord or discordant um, with what they knew. And so knowledge is only a part of it. We need to have that also inside of us. As we grow in our knowledge of God, it should begin to shape our behavior and our actions. So studying the Word is important, but if it doesn't change how you live, if it doesn't change how you think, then it's really futile. It needs to be, we need to understand the Word of God, which is part of the will of God for our lives, but that Word needs to begin to get inside of us, and it needs to change our actions. Our fruit should be different because of the knowledge that we have of Christ. Because his, his desire for us is not just that we would know, but we would be transformed and changed.
Bible says that we'd be washed with the water through the Word of God. We need to be renewed through His, His Word and let that come and be a change on the inside. Really, it comes down to that, that our, our orthopraxy would come from our orthodoxy. Our practice would come from our knowledge. As we read that, we'd say, wow, God, I, I'm going to follow you in this. There's a, this was interesting. I thought, wow, God, this is great or this is odd. It's up to you. And um, the, the Mexico team, when I got down and dropped off Robert on Friday to, the, to, to meet with the group, one of the guys came out, and uh, he, he didn't have anything to pack in the car. Uh, he just packed a few uh, food things to bring down, and and uh, and I noticed that there was no bags. And finally, he said, "You know, I've been praying this week, and God told me to fast." And then, and then some of our monies didn't come in, and so um, so some of the people's money for the trip didn't come in yet. And so God said, uh, "Go with nothing." And he says, "Oh wow, they're going to have to go down there in faith." He says, "No, you go with nothing." Huh? And he says, no, remember, he says, when you go, don't take an extra tunic. Don't take an extra pair of shoes. He went with only the clothes on his back. He was, he was following what he believed God was saying in that moment. Now, he may stink by the end of the week. We'll see. But he said, I have faith that as I need it, God is going to provide it. And so he's going down there. And he had all of his money. He had all of his clothes. He wasn't the one without the money. So what he's doing is taking all the money and everything that he was bringing, and he's giving it. To, to the to the to Mexico, and he's just going in faith. Oh, wow, you know he let the knowledge of God, and then hearing from God lead him lead him into this trip. So it's going to be an interesting time. You know, are we willing to to do that? Even to step out and say, "Wow, this seems a little odd." You know, I don't think I'd want to be in the car with him driving back. <laughs> Eight days in the same clothes. But are we willing? And see, as we get to know the Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll be, we can be led by Him and know the things that we need to do. Now, continue on in, in verse 9 here. Be filled with all the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, wisdom here, it's important to know what wisdom is. Wisdom means wisdom. It's just the same word we, we would use for wisdom. But the next word, knowledge, is a great word and it says spiritual or I'm sorry understanding spiritual understanding or spiritual knowledge the um, knowledge or the understanding here is the word synesis and it it means to put things together like what we would say you know just put two and two together you know kind of put two and two together so he's saying is that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will through wisdom and spiritual understanding through wisdom and putting things together spiritually so as we begin to know the word of God and then we begin to get the wisdom of God we can put spiritually these things together and say God how does this meet with practicality how does the spiritual realm meet up with the with the physical realm in this moment and God will begin to give that and this is his prayer for us this is a prayer for the Colossians that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will through wisdom how to do it, how to make it happen, and putting these things together in the spiritual realm. That means that the Spirit needs to come in and speak to us as far as His will is concerned. Verse, verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
that you may walk worthy of the Lord. This is a theme that's echoed throughout the Bible. Walking worthy of the Lord. And immediately for me, I go, I can't do that. I mean, I am not worthy. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a theme. In Ephesians 4.1, if you're taking notes, Romans 16.2, Philippians 1.27, Thessalonians 2.12, all of these, these passages echo the same thing about walking worthy. Walking worthy of the Lord. Walk worthy of your calling. And so he's praying now that we would be able to walk worthy of our calling. What does that mean? There's a standard. There's a standard to which Christ died for us that we should conform to. That, that there is a way that we can walk worthy in him and that there is a standard. And we'll find it as we read his word for us. We'll find that what things, and this is part of the passage we'll get to in a moment, what things please the Lord, what things displease him. And we're supposed to walk accordingly. How do we do that? We'll get to there too. Our walk, though, should be consistent with the price that Christ paid for us. You hear that? Our walk should be consistent with the price that Christ paid. Right there, I fall short. But, but we need to have... We don't want to just live in our, in our mire saying, well, I'm just a failure. But understand that, you know, the, where God desires that we would walk would be consistent with the price that he paid and he gave it all for us. Romans 12.1 says that we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That, that's what we were talking about this morning in worship. We give fully of ourselves to him and say, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. I don't live to please myself, but I live to please the one who sent his son for me. We live to please the Lord, and our walk should be consistent with that price that he paid for us. There are two words that we're talking about, and they really stand out in the practicality of our faith. And that's walk and work. We're talking about our walk, our, our, our daily activity, the way we just live our lives. That old saying, our walk talks and our talk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. Say that five times fast. But it's our walk. And then after we begin to walk, then we grow into a place where we begin to work. And we serve the Lord. Now, it's not, we don't work to get salvation. We work because we're saved. Right? Is that what Paul says? He says, you, show, you tell me you have faith. I'll show you my faith by what I do. So we don't work to get saved. We work because we're saved. Because we remember what Christ did for us. We always have to go back to the moment and remember what Christ did for us. Otherwise, it just becomes religiosity. We need to serve it out of that love and that devotion and the understanding of Christ's sacrifice for us. And so these two words, walk and work, stand out, but they stem from another W, and that's the wisdom. That's the wisdom to understand and, and, and uh, lay hold in our mind as much as we can of the sacrifice that God paid for us, that Jesus paid for us. After we have that and begin to know that, our walk will begin to happen. And we're always drawn back to the point of the cross. When we're, to, when we're faced with a challenge, when we're faced with something, a decision to make, and we go back and say, you know, Christ paid it all for me. I can choose life. I can die to myself today, and I can choose life. And that's that thing that we keep doing. And as we continually walk, 
as you walk longer and longer, it actually begins to go not just an inward personal thing, but then you get the passion and desire and ability to serve him outwardly even more in work and in ministry. Our purpose in, in life should not to please ourselves, but our Lord. Think about all the passages that you've ever read that in. I don't please myself, but I please him. Live a life in, to please God. That should be our goal in life is to please him. And we know we can't. We can't be so good, but he is innately pleased with us because we're his creation. And as we're trying, as we're loving him and serving him, he's pleased. I remember Pastor Jeff's story of when the girls were, were about two, and I think it was Father's Day, and he came out, and, and I think, believe it was Janina, and I hope you're listening, Janina, had taken his glasses and she wanted to clean them for him. And so she took them and she rubbed them on the fireplace hearth. And she was so proud of the work that she had done. She wanted to please her papa. And uh, I, I imagine he handled it okay. Probably swallowed really hard. and Because she was trying to please him. And her heart was right. Yeah, she failed. <laughs> you know, but God knows the difference when we're really trying to please Him. He also knows when we're just offering something to Him. You know, I can think of some times that my kids threw up one of those for me. They needed something. They wanted something. And they did less than a satisfactory job because uh, they had to run out of the house. And the, Oh, let's just do this. To... You know, we know the difference, parents, don't we? God does too, so don't try to fool Him. You can't fool God saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm really just doing this for you, God. <laughs> but we don't live to please ourselves. We live to please the Lord. And it's just going to look different for all of us. We're at different spots in our maturity, just like Janina was. But we, we, that should be our goal. God, how, how can I please you in this? And, let's go to uh, just 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Just real quick. First Thessalonians four one says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk. And to please God. These things are in the Word. He's, we ought to walk. And we ought, we ought to walk well. We ought to please the Lord in our lives. And we're urged and exhorted to do so. In that, now here, now here comes the disclaimer. It's not us who work for God. But it's God who works in us. It's not us who work for God, but it's God who works in us. Because we've all tried and failed miserably. We can't work for Him. But if we allow Him to work in us, that's when it's successful. I guess God is like a big Chinese finger puzzle. Put your fingers in, you try too hard, you're just, just, just relax. Let, let, let God live inside of you. Don't struggle so much. Let the strength inside of you. Let God's presence from inside be what directs us and, and empowers us. 
Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do. So it's God in us to even have a desire to serve Him. And it's God in us who allows us to be able to do it. Our knowledge of God as we know Him through His Word and through prayer, that should breed our service to God. And it, it, we shouldn't have these lives of super spiritual behavior. It should be normal, everyday life, the presence of God living on us, that we might be out in the world and be a real true light and example. God doesn't want us to live as just super spiritual Christians having great worship services here and not affecting the world and not being Christian at home. As we get into the Word, as we study His Word, which is His will for us, we learn and we grow and we ask His presence to be with us. Say, fill me with the Spirit. Help me to have ears to hear. And so we learn, we get the knowledge, but along with that knowledge, I, we learn a lot this way, but we learn just as much from our work, from walking it out. As we go and we serve people in Jesus' name, we grow so much from those times. One without the other is so empty. Knowledge without putting into practice is dead. It's really dead. But we can't go off and just practice our Christianity without a foundation of who God is and what His will for our life is. That's also empty. We need both together. Don't separate your learning from your living. Deal Moody said it best. I, I, I like the way he said it simply. He says, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. And I'm slow because I actually took me a little while to figure that one out. Oh, I'm a walking Bible. I get it. I'm a walking Bible. Some of you are slow like me. I'm glad that I'm not the only one. I'm like, well, this is kind of like leather, isn't it? We should be a walking Bible. That, that, and we are. As we go out, your life, as, as someone said, may be the only Bible that anybody ever reads. How can you be a good example of the Bible if you're not in the Bible yourself? You're just a representation of your thoughts and your beliefs, but they're not founded in the Word. We need them both. Am I the only one who hears that? <laughs> I can't see the clock. I think it's... Okay, we're good. I can't believe that this is happening to me. Wow. So we go on, it says that we walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. We've talked about that. We want to be pleasing to the Lord. And that's, that's, a, that's a prayer. It's, not, it's, it's a prayer we can say, God, is my life pleasing to you? You know, He's going to convict. He's going to, he's going to correct. But, but if you sit and you pray that prayer and you're, you feel only bad, that's not God. That's not God. God is pleased with you because he created you. But he has better plans for your life than you're living. He has better plans for my life than I'm living. He's got more. He's pleased with you, but there's more that he wants you to walk in. And it's not just for him, it's for you. So God, am I pleasing? What, what my life is not pleasing to you? I want to be fully pleasing. 
Paul says these things a lot. He says things like all and fully, and he puts epi in front of gnosis. It's this not just satisfactory. It's full. It's all-encompassing. We don't want to just be pleasing. We want to be fully pleasing to him. As we know him and know his will, we walk according to what we know will please him. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. As we know him, we begin to know his will, we begin to walk according to what we know in his word for us, we're pleasing to him. It's, it's simple. It's just hard to walk that out sometimes, isn't it? Fully pleasing to him. Getting in now, being fruitful in every, there again, every good work. And it doesn't mean being fruitful in some good works. Being fruitful in every good work. Do you know that your life can bear fruit in every work? Wow. Let it be God. I want to bear fruit in every good work. There's four characteristics here that I want to get into. And that's uh, four characteristics of a walk worthy of the Lord. We'll go through them pretty, pretty quick. We've been, but the first one is that being fruitful in every good work. In order to bear fruit, we have to die. Right? John, uh, John 15, 6, I'm sorry, um, John 12, 24, it says, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. In order to bear fruit, we have to die. Now, there's a great passage in John chapter 15, and, and it's the vine passage, but I think it could also be called the abide passage. It could be called um, the, uh, the uh, uh, fruitful passage because it talks about us, Jesus, being the vine, but that we need to abide in the vine and that we'll bear fruit. Go with me to John chapter 15. And just read a couple of passages. How do we bear fruit? Now this is Jesus' last words to his disciples. He's talking about this, chapter 15. But in verse, in verse 5 and 6, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Wow. Abide in him and we're going to bear fruit. Abide in Jesus and we'll bear fruit. That's what we need to do. We can't do it on our own. So how do we bear fruit? We have to abide in him. You just go over to uh, verse 16, same chapter. It says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So this is not something, he's, he said, I appointed you to this. This is what he created you to do is to bear fruit. So he didn't create you and appoint you to do something that's difficult. As we abide in him, it says we will bear fruit. And it says that your fruit should remain your fruit should remain. We don't want to just have short-lasting fruit. We want to have long-lasting fruit. There was a guy on a, on a cart, and he, he went to go pick up seeds. And as he was coming, coming back from the market, a couple of seeds fell out of the cart, two different types of seeds, and they fell right on the path. And the path that he was going was full of manure because the horses pulled it. And so it was really nice dirt. And so the, both of these seeds began to do something. One of them began to bud and he came back and he, and he saw something coming out of the ground the other one there was couldn't tell if there was anything there later he'd come back in just a couple days and the other one was starting to 
to, to bring forth a plant and it started growing and the other one, maybe something's happening. And after just a short time, he came back and this one had grown into a, a great squash and it was just a beautiful squash on this plant. And the other one who just had a little stem now popping out of it. It wasn't long though that squash plant was gone. It was withered. And the other one had a stub coming out of this big. 50 years later, there was a great oak tree. You know, he wants us to bear fruit, but he also wants us to bear fruit that lasts. And sometimes it takes a while to see the fruit, but we, with persistence and consistency, we'll let that seed grow. And long-term, that oak was much stronger than the squash. Gave a lot more food. We want to be like that. We want to bear fruit, but fruit that, that lasts. We want to live lives that are, that are multifaceted. We want to let our aim be so that our whole life, every good work bears fruit, not just on one side. Most of us in here have a good side, and we put that forward all the time. That's the side we come into church with. That's the side that we get together with our Christian friends with. We have a side that's bearing fruit, and that's good, but we want to bear fruit in all good works. We want this to be part of our whole life. Otherwise, we're really no different than just the backdrop of a stage. And it looks beautiful when you see it. But on the backside, you find out that it's just an old canvas. It's full of dirt and cobwebs. On the front, it's beautiful and painted and it looks great. But on the back, it's just empty. We want to let God's goodness be all in our lives, all-encompassing, so that we bear fruit in every good work not just in some. We want to increase in the knowledge of God. That's another characteristic of how to walk worthy, to increase in the knowledge of God. We talked about it at the beginning, putting ourselves into the Word, knowing His Word, and knowing Him through prayer and spending time with Him. Grow in the knowledge, in the epinosis of God. Second Peter 3 says well, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can... Walk worthy, Lord, by bearing fruit, being fruitful in every good work, and that's by abiding in Him. We increase in the knowledge of God. A third way, a third characteristic of a walk worthy of the Lord is that we're strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. thing we need to see here right away is that it's His glorious power, not our own. It's His power. We're strengthened by the Spirit of God within us. We're strengthened as we allow the Spirit to live in us, to, to live through us, and it's not something we can muster up on ourselves, and we try to do that a lot. But no, God, I need Your Spirit inside of me. We need to be, be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. And, and there's two words that he uses here. One is dunamis, which is the word we get dynamite from. And that's kind of like an, uh, an inherent power. So it says that we need to be dunamis with all dunamis. Okay, the first two words come from the same, same word there. We need to have that inherent power with that inherent power from, and they use a different word here, power, kratos, which is a manifest power. So God's manifest power changes us on the inside. 
and we be strengthened from the inside. We can't be strengthened from the outside. We often just try to buck up and strengthen ourselves and get the word, but we need to be strengthened by the Spirit of God living inside of us. And why? It says, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. I'm just going to hit these really quick because I couldn't, I couldn't go through this passage without talking a little bit about patience and long-suffering. Amen? We all want patience, God, and I wish you would hurry about it. You know, patience is such an important characteristic of the maturing Christians. Go to me Proverbs 16.32. We think about power. We think about the mighty acts of the, of the men of God, and we say, I just want the power of God. What was greater? David slaying Goliath? Or saying no to ungodliness. Says he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Often we're praying for the outside power. God, just give me power and I want to lay hands on the sick and I want to see these things. No, the Bible says that greater is he who controls his spirit than the mighty. Because he's talking about character. We're talking about patience in this in this passage. We're talking about moral fortitude, moral character, and that is far greater than strength or power. God, instead of worrying about outside and all these things that I can do, God, help my character to be strengthened in you. Let me be a man of inward courage. Let me be a man of fortitude and patience. We are a cell church. Patience, now there's two words here, patience. Uh, patience is an endurance when circumstances are difficult. Patience is endurance when circumstances are difficult. It's different than long-suffering. We need to really pray, God, give me patience. God, give me long-suffering. We'll t- you talk a little bit about that. Warren Wearsby said, if we do not learn to be patient, we are not likely to learn anything else. If we do not learn to be patient, we are not likely to learn anything else. We need to learn how to endure under our circumstances. And that's where we learn the most, is in the middle of those circumstances. God, help us to grow in patience. Help us to grow in patience. We're just doing this. Now, now, we'll, now we'll see if we're doing well because the next one, that's patience. Patience is about circumstances. Now the next one is long-suffering. Long-suffering really means self-restraint. Self-restraint. And the opposite of that would be revenge. Long-suffering is self-restraint. Patience is mostly about circumstances. Long-suffering is mostly about people. And you know, with some people, the longer you know them, the longer you suffer. <laughs> it's long suffering. There is, there's really, the word is macros. It means long. It means, it, it means long and there's that, so it's suffering for that long period of time. Having that, that intense passion in the wrong way 
against us and, and suffering through it and saying, no, I'm not going to do this. It's the opposite of revenge. Patience is circumstances, long-suffering is with people. And it's amazing that how many people can have amazing patience with circumstances, but they have no long-suffering with people. And it can be the opposite, too. But it's about dealing with people. You've got to learn how to deal with people and understand where they're coming from. God, give us patience and long-suffering. Patience and long-suffering. Go back to Colossians if your figure's left there. So we may be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. Why? So we can have patience and long-suffering. And these things are so important in the Christian life today. We're going to be a lot of circumstances come into our life and God wants us to overcome these. Proverbs 25 says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. We want to be a fortified city. We want to be strong. We want to offer safety to people. We need to have control over our spirit. Why? The end of verse 11 says, with joy, or how with joy. We're not just supposed to have long-suffering patience in anger or depression. I'm just suffering through this. But God wants us to have it in joy. He wants us to have joy in the moment. That's impossible. Thank God the Bible says that all things are possible with God. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. We can't have that type of joy in the middle of long-suffering and patience unless the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of us. We have happiness. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness can come and go. It's fleeting. But joy is that inward strength. And then there's the spiritual joy that comes from knowing God on the inside. It's that thing of, I don't know why I'm not freaking out. It must be the presence of God in my life. And that I can actually see through the end of this trial that God is going to work something good. And it's this inward confidence that you have. When my dad died, we laughed a lot. Because we're just a funny, weird family. When my dad died, the night after he died, we watched Weekend at Bernie's. That's an interesting thing to watch after your dad dies. That's where they drag the dead guy around. In a, in, okay? It's, we laughed. And we, and, but if my dad would have been there, he would have been laughing with us. Now, you, we got really happy. We, we laughed and we got happy. And we would, there would be times we'd joke about the things my dad would say or do. We got happy. But, you know, joy was really hard to find. Joy was hard to find. Happiness was pretty easy to find. Some people find happiness just by going to Chad's. And, and it's true. They're happy for a little while. And they're trying to get joy, and they're looking, but instead they're ending up with happy. And then after too many drinks, the happiness turns to sadness, almost always. But joy is that inner strength. Or joy is that thing from inside that he says it doesn't matter what's going on. He wants to have that joy. In order to have that, we need to have his perspective. 
like Paul in jail. He wrote the book of Philippians from in prison. Philippians and uh, some Warren Wiersbe and other people call it. Um, it's the it's the, the most joyful letter that Paul wrote. Um, there's a book called Be Joyful, and it's a, it's a commentary on the book of Philippians. So here Paul is in prison and he writes this letter all about joy. It's about your perspective. Get the perspective of the Lord. Get the perspective that God has for this life that that He is in control. That that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that every sickness will be healed every tear wiped away there's perspective and that joy becomes god you are my strength you are my rock so we have patience and long suffering learning to do it in joy which means we need the spirit power to do that and then the fourth thing and final closing in this giving thanks to the father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light these four things are, are characteristics of, of how to walk worthy of the Lord. We need to be people who would be giving thanks. And there's so much to give thanks for. The other day during dinner, I was just, we just said, let's, let's pray for dinner. I just began to pray and it just came over me and I just began to enumerate the things that we had to be thankful for. You know, if you really started doing that, it would take a long time. God, thank you that I have shoes. Because I saw a homeless guy last week who didn't have any. Thank you that I've got more than one pair of pants. Thank you that I've got healthy children. I mean, the list would go on and on and on, but there was this real sense of, oh, I have so much to be thankful for, and I don't deserve it. Thank you, God, that you've given me these things. But the biggest reason that it gives here in this, in this chapter to be thankful for is that he has qualified us. It's not us. It's not us who's done it. It's not us who can do it. But he qualified us to be partakers of heaven, of the heavenly gift, of hope that's coming to us. He qualified you. You didn't do it. You just received the qualification. He did all the work, and he stood, stood before you and says, do you want it? And most of you have taken it. Now, there might be some people in here who hasn't received that. You haven't received the qualification that was already paid for you. Because of that, you have no joy. You can't give thanks, truly. These things are foreign to you because you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and don't know these things. And you, you might know them up here, but you're missing the biggest part of Him living inside of you. And when that changes, when you ask Christ, God, forgive me of my sin. Help me to follow you. I want to be a disciple. And He comes and He makes His home within you. There's a difference not just up here, but something comes alive in your spirit. And for that, you can give thanks. It's Him who qualified you. It's Him who qualified me. Aren't you glad we don't have to do it on our own? I failed yesterday. I'm going to fail again today. But He qualified me. Let's stand. If that was you who says, you know, I've never trusted in Christ to be my Savior. I've never fully trusted Him and asked Him to be my Savior. I've never asked forgiveness of my sins and for Him to come and be my Lord. Then it's, it's simple. It's not easy because it'll change your life. But you can make that profession and confession today. But it has to come from within. It has to be true. It can't just be lip service because God knows the difference. But it's simple and it can be simply done. And God, I know that 
you sent Jesus to die for my sins. That I am a sinner. That because of my sin, I'm destined for hell. I thank you that your sacrifice of Jesus on the cross paid the penalty and qualified me for heaven. I don't understand a lot, but I want to commit my life to you. I ask that you would be my Savior, that you would cleanse me of my sin, make me a new creature. I want to be born again, this time in a spiritual way and not just a physical way. I thank you for qualifying me to be a partaker. And we all say, God, we thank you for giving us your word and sending Jesus and then giving us the Holy Spirit to reside within us, to give us power, to help us in our weakness, to live inside of us, to strengthen us, to empower us, to give us the ability to have patience and long-suffering, to have a spirit of joy, God, cause us to know you more intimately through your word, through our time studying together, but on our time alone as we would pray and read the Bible each day in our homes, get together with believers and discuss and then apply the word of God to our lives. Let the knowledge transform us and let it be walked out in our lives. We thank you for this week and the celebration and remembrance of all that you did for us. I pray, God, that many would be saved this week because of your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If that was you, come and talk to me. If you made a decision for Christ this morning. Stand up.